Hey gang, it is me, your host, Sean Zock, joined by Dylan DeChair. And if you follow us in any capacity, you might have watched our show last year. It was called The Drop Zone. It was a 20-minute weekly show. It centered around an interview, but it also dived into what I think was important dialogue on the most important topics in the game. Some things a little bit frivolous, like Jenna Sims' IMDb page. It is a doozy. You need to go check that out. Anyway, we are turning the Golf.com podcast into the Drop Zone podcast. We are back. We are taking you along with us. We'll keep the mood light. We'll bring in interesting and important discussions to your podcast feed every single week. This week, we're going to wrap up the PGA Tour season, and we'll have an interview with NBC and Golf Channel host Steve Sands. But for now, this is the Drop Zone. First things first, as a podcast of the people, of the golfers, we want to discuss the places we go and the things we do in this game. So Dylan, tell the people what we did on Saturday. Can I first say I'm fired up? Drop zone. We're here. I'm wearing my, I wore my ugliest shirt in my entire wardrobe for the occasion today. This is like when Phil wears all black when he needs an aggressive Sunday. I wore my weirdest shirt for the weirdest takes on the drop zone. And you're being weird already. Uh, where did we played golf together? We get to play golf every now and then, but it had been a while. We got to tee it up at Stanwich, the Stanwich Club. We took the Metro North out of the, out of the city, joined uh, a couple of our what do they call themselves? Revside Associates, Revenue Side, Joe Suma and Brendan Moeller, and uh, played a, a nice four ball up there. Beautiful sunny August afternoon. From the tips, no big deal. Seventy four hundred yards. This course is just like a constant test. Every single shot, I mean, playing from the tips, it's pretty far. But every single shot is like this no big constant test from tee to green with the fairway and rough in between. Uh, 29 holes. We were chasing the sunset in the evening. That's what you want. Sunset golf. You're just hitting the ball. You can't even see it anymore. Um, you inspired me, though. You shot 72 oh, from the tips. That. 72 from the tips. You know, this guy you might you might have heard of a couple years ago played there, Sergio Garcia, mm. played from the tips, shot 76. Wow. You're, you're inspiring me, that's for sure. My ego is inflating already. We're like two minutes into this podcast. Uh, but Saturday, Sean, playing golf Saturday allowed us to get back Sunday in time to take in the FedEx Cup finale. Rory McIlroy took down the Tour Championship by four shots over Xander Shoffley. Stared down Brooks Kepka in the final group, got some revenge. What a year in Rory. What a year. What what do we make of this year in Rory McElroy? Well, let's let's go through the the highlights at first. So he begins twenty nineteen. He says he's gonna focus more on the PGA tour. He's gonna play more tour events. He's not going to play a lot of Euro tour events. Paul McGinley is like deriding him for this. People are all, all upset at Rory McElroy for trying to play, quote, where you play for more money and more ranking points. Seems obvious, but this is what happens when you're a European golf star. Starts his season, T4, T5, T4. Then he says, I'm not going to play the Irish Open, which is really sad for all of his his fans, you know, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Again, viled for this online, on Twitter. Everyone's upset with Rory. Then he finishes second in Mexico. Then T6. Then he goes out and wins the Players' Championship. He's never really contended there before. This felt like a seminal victory in Rory's year, goes to the match play, loses to Tiger, snubs the media that day. People are all upset. Rory, you couldn't beat old man Tiger. You couldn't talk to the media about it, but he heads to Augusta as one of the favorites. Goes out and shoots 73 in the first round, is down by eight strokes. Sorry, Rory, but you're not going to round up the Grand Slam. Turns 30 in May, T8, T8, 64-61 up in Canada to win by seven shots. So, the automatic favorite coming to Pebble. He's going to win the U.S. Open. We're going to get that fifth major. He's five shots back going into Sunday. He makes double bogey on the second hole. Goodbye to another major opportunity. Then, favorite to win a month later at Royal Portrush. All the hype, all the pressure. He hits his first shot, out of bounds left, on the first hole, makes an eight. Rallies on Friday, has a chip to make the cut with a 64, misses gives this heartfelt interview. He's almost crying on camera there with Steve Sands, but he misses the cut. 
a week later, this is the year of Rory. He goes up against Brooks Kepka on Sunday in Memphis, gets absolutely waxed. Mm. Brooks wins by six. Rory can't do it in, in final round pairings with anybody of any kind of substance. Finally, when we kind of stop expecting good things from Rory, he shows up. He drives it like a madman this week, wins by four at East Lake, wins $15 million. We constantly, constantly get caught up in the minutia, the details of right now, what's happening right now with Rory, but there's a greater picture, and that is that he had a phenomenal, phenomenal year. He did. I mean, wow. That was a roller coaster Isn't ride that a you lot? just took me through. Uh, I think the most perfect encapsulation, at least for me in person, was being over at Royal Port Russia and wandering over to that first tee, you know, because the crowds were going crazy on Thursday when Rory headed to hit that opening tee shot. And I have never heard such a contrast of at impact, the crowd going nuts. And then it was like you let the air out of the balloon as this ball just sails left and sails left. And it, all of a sudden you have these thousands and thousands of people go deadly silent. And it's that awkward moment, Rory going over and fumbling, getting a provisional ball out of his golf bag. And, oh, it was so dark. So the, the contrast between that and then such an emotional day the next day, um, playing maybe his best golf of the entire year, you know, maybe besides the, the RBC or something, but in that charge for, for the cut line, playing spectacular golf and falling just short felt like the theme of his year yeah. mm-hmm. until yesterday. And all things considered, yesterday its own is its own kind of intricate, goofy thing. Like the Tour Championship isn't exactly the Players' Championship. These are different things. They'll be treated as one victory in the career wins column. But <laughs> You are fired up about that yeah. part. Um, it's become kind of cliche to praise Rory for being so open with the media and so open with his fans. But I'm going to do it again. He constantly shows us more than anybody else. Like He clues us in. We seem to actually know who he is, what he thinks about. He tells us, he admits to us that he's uh, doing meditation, that he's working with a sports psychologist, and that he doesn't want to play a full European tour schedule because he wants to really focus on winning a major. That's all we really want is that fifth major from the guy, and so he tries focusing on it, and then he gets vilified. Like he's He's been frustrated. He's been heartbroken. He's come back and really, really focused on just trying to win golf tournaments, which is all we really want. The guy doesn't really care about the $15 million he just won. He just wants to do it, add to his legacy, do it with the people that he loves. He really like is the definition of using your platform to show who you are. And we really, really don't see that from like 90% of the PGA Tour. It's funny, you mentioned this weekend, he's reading this book about you know staying device-free, basically, being in the moment, being present. Um, and then I thought his most interesting answer in his post-round press conference was about Brooks Kepka, actually, because he said, uh, let me read you a little Rory. He said, I think one of the biggest things I sometimes try to treat Sundays as Thursday or Friday, and they're not. He said, I, I go into them with that same mindset, and maybe it's a little too relaxed. So he said when he ran into Brooks' 65 in Memphis, he said that, that changed him a little bit. So He said, look, if I want to become the most dominant player in the world again, I need to be more like that. I need to, I guess that's the ultimate compliment I can give Brooks is today I wanted to be a little bit more like him. Mm -hmm. That's pretty revealing to say about your rival. Yeah, no no one else says things like that. You think Dustin Johnson would say, ah, I think I need to be more like Brooks. That's that's all he would say. He wouldn't go in depth to what that actually means. Yeah. Guys don't say that. And Brooks will say about playing with Rory – He'll say, oh, look, he's a joy to watch. He's fantastic, whatever. But but it feels more like that athlete, you know, mutual respect cliche. Not like, oh, I needed to really genuinely needed to steal part of his game yeah. to overcome some adversity. Yeah, there's some jealousy there. There's like minute jealousy from Rory. And can you blame him? I mean, Brooks has matched his career major total in the past three years. I think that they're – we've answered on Tour Confidential – those are the two elite players in the game today. Mm-hmm. It's Brooks yes. and Rory. And there is a little gap, but there's a gap between Justin Thomas and those guys and Dustin Johnson and those guys. Same with Justin Rose. So all, all the praise from me for Rory and the year in Rory, absolute roller coaster. And I think it all reminds us that sometimes we, we, we lose track of the forest when we're staring at the trees, especially in Rory's world. 
in Rory's world, the tour championship. It was the talk of the town on the PGA Tour for actually most of the year, especially the last couple of weeks. Everyone's focused on this goofy format. And perhaps goofy isn't the right word, but it's just tricky. It's a little bit different. You can essentially not play as good as someone else, but still beat them and take more money than them. Money was the conversation. Justin Thomas starts at 10 under, finishes at 13 under. Patrick Cantlay started at 8 under, finished at 1 over. Rory won by 4. Paul Casey nudged a 5-footer closer to the hole for a multi-million dollar tap-in. Are we pleased? Were we happy with the result? Yes. And I say that with some reservations because there still is this weirdness. You have talked about it plenty. Even Rory talked about it immediately after winning. He was keeping track of his own shadow leaderboard. You know, he said he wanted the lowest 72 hole score. His math, he couldn't keep track of the math. He said he thought he needed to make his birdie on 18. He actually had the lowest 72 72 hole score by three shots over the course of the week. But there was some weirdness. However, look at the showdown it got us on Sunday. It got us Rory. It got us Brooks, Xander Shoffley, Justin Thomas, you know, four of the hottest players on tour in contention on Sunday. That's better in my mind than anything else we've seen from the tour championship since it started. Better than last year. Format wise, better than last year. Last year you had weird Justin Rose, like fist pumping two putts on 18 to you know lose the tournament but win the fedex cup Mm -hmm. this was better than more satisfying than that well i want a perhaps rhetorical question for you is how can we improve it because this is our one chance to really have this discussion because we will have another full season starting up in just a couple weeks i like the idea that there's a lot of money involved i think that that's a win like the fedex bonus is worth 60 million dollars really 70 million 70? 70 million. And I think you could see guys getting a little bit uncomfortable out there yesterday. Yeah. It's hard to draw a direct line, obviously, but guys are missing fairways all over they're the missing, place. They're playing for more groups. money than they ever have before. That's the absolute truth. So that's going to get someone somewhat uncomfortable. But I would like to present Michael Bamberger's playoff thesis. He calls it the FedEx series. Everyone plays throughout the whole year for the top 125 spots. That gets you into the playoffs, which sounds pretty familiar, right? You're still playing for the same pool, tens of millions of dollars. Each event, as is already the case, has its own purse. So if you play well in those events, you get your money from that. The worst eight scores after each round cut people from each round. We're talking cumulative scoring. So if you shoot 76 in the first round of the first playoff event, you're probably going home. If you shoot 67, you've done a lot to get yourself moving forward. So the worst eight scores plus ties get cut after every round. So basically you lose 10 people per round. So after the first round, you got 115 left. After the second round, 105 left. Basically you got 85 players going to Chicago for the BMW. And basically you have 45 players going to Atlanta for the tour championship after which we only eliminate four people per round. But we're talking cumulative scoring. This is how it would have played out. All the way through cumulative scoring? All the way through. Okay. Justin Thomas would have won with 814 strokes made across the three playoff events. Tony Finau would have finished second. Tony, that's perfect spot for Tony. 816 strokes. He would have lost JT by two, but the guy played really, really solid golf in New York, in Chicago, And in Atlanta, he deserves to be handsomely rewarded for it more so than he actually did. Wow. What did we see? One Tony Finau shot yesterday? Exactly. This would have been a contrast. Tying for third, Adam Scott and Rory McIlroy, 818 strokes, losing to JT by four. Justin Thomas played solid this past week, so much better than Rory a week ago, and they kind of played the same in New York. If we're going to treat this as a playoffs, the entire thing as an event... It should all count the same. I don't want shots in Chicago theoretically worth fractions more than shots in Atlanta because they help build you a lead in Atlanta. That's what I want to avoid. I'm not saying I hate it, but here's the thing. In the NBA, you reset after every round, right? You got a new series, new competition, new opponent. In MLB, you do the same. In the NFL, the points reset after every game. So inherently, I don't have an issue 
with the points resetting you after just want to every round. Team sports. Well, yeah, I'm, tennis. The same thing would apply. We're not talking cumulative games and sets, you know, as you go through Wimbledon. Um, and I think you run the risk of someone running away with this thing. But man, I didn't hear you say the name Brooks Kepka, which is kind of interesting. Brooks Kepka would have made 830 strokes. So he would have lost to Thomas by 16 strokes, mm. which is what happened in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. This is what happened during the playoffs. It is, but it doesn't strike me as quite as compelling. You're talking about a 12-round golf tournament all of a sudden. This yeah. is like the old Q school, but double it. That is so much stroke play golf without So much like stroke play golf for so much wrong. money. For so much money. It would be a daunting, career-defining thing for Tony Finau to play 12 rounds and outlast the greatest players in the world. Tony Finau has one career win. Yes. And it was an it was, it was a, a secondary the event. Puerto Rico Open. Shout out Martin Trainer. Also one career win. Tony Finau holding off the best players in the world for twelve weeks is as good as a second win, or perhaps a third win in my eyes. That would have been incredible. So I think you're talking about a you're you're elevating the FedEx Cup. Bamberger also wants to change the names of the events to FedEx One, FedEx Two, and FedEx Three. Yeah, which <laughs> I'm also down for because FedEx paid all this money. Well, yeah, it's also just perfect Bamberger kind of subversion. Either way, we can agree that that would be better than, uh, say, 2008 when Vijay Singh won the FedEx Cup with 125,101 <laughs> points, won by a 551 point margin. So. This sounds like better than that. What you're talking about is more of a marathon, is a tour day championship. Yes. That's the way I would think about it. What I was thinking is kind of the other end of the spectrum. Let's get it a little bit weirder. The top eight guys go to some sort of match play format. We get head-to-head. You say it's a little too weird. I say maybe not weird enough. Um, so I don't think we're there quite yet, but I hope that they just keep tinkering a little bit. We've made progress. Moving on. Moving on, Sean. I wanted to get you involved in a little game. I want to do a little overrated, underrated, properly rated with you. I just want to ask you if something is overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Rory McIlroy's Player of the Year campaign. It's properly rated. I think we all know it's not going to happen. This happens every couple years when someone wins a bunch of events but doesn't win a major. Rory's season is properly rated because we all know it's Brooks Kepka's title to lose. Is Tony Finau overrated, underrated? Properly rated. Wow. That's a great question. I've got Tony Finau as overrated. Wow. It's not that he doesn't have game. He's got a ton of game. It's actually because he has game. But the guy, as we just covered, has only won the Puerto Rico Open. He he gave this sort of sad interview yesterday. Uh, he just wanted to win this year, man, and he couldn't get it. But he made a ton of money. Good on you, Tony. Transfusions at the turn. I think you had your first one this weekend. They are very underrated. They taste so good. Anything that's a little fruity to just wipe away the hard stinging vodka, make me a little bit looser, make me start feeling like, you know, the end is in sight. These double bogeys don't really matter. How about Harry Diamond? Harry Diamond. Oh my gosh. Underrated. I would say. How often do we actually talk about Harry Diamond? The only time we talked about Harry Diamond in a significant way was dumping on Rory for picking his buddy to be on the bag. And now here he is, you know, would my answer have been different yesterday when it looked like Rory was closer to a guy that struggled to close on Sunday? Maybe, but it's today. It's not yesterday anymore. Harry diamond shout out to our guy. How about Sean Zox golf game? Overrated, underrated, properly rated. So underrated. It's crazy. I'm the most dangerous 11 handicap in the world. (laughs) Because I start every match when I'm getting strokes with people. I'll, I'll play the first five holes in like one over. So I've already popped a couple times. Mm-hmm. I've already made a couple net birdies. And people are like, you are such a sandbaker. Yeah. And I quickly take a long iron and send it to the right trees. This is like sab- you just take, kind of reset. You sabotage yourself, but you take them with you. Yes. Because they're already so rattled. I'm so close to being a seven handicap. And I'm far from being a 15 handicap, so I'm underrated as an 11. Is it overrated, underrated, or properly rated to make a hole-in-one? Oh, making a hole-in-one. Shout out myself, the new hole-in-one man. Uh, I think it's it's overrated. Yeah. If I'm being candid, it's overrated 
Xander Shoffley just made his first career hole-in-one of his life, period, uh, this weekend. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just hit a ball and it went in the hole. This is not a... Have you ever holed out from the fairway? I have. And that's just as much of a rush as doing it from a tee box. It's a very, very cool thing. It's just a one. You get to write a one on the scorecard. It's just that it's gotten so built up to the point where we treat it as this, you know, kind of career accomplishment. Like it's it's like winning a tournament or something, but it's it's not at all that. It's just a combination of a good shot and a bunch of luck, and then you're supposed to buy a bunch of beer, which you know sounds fun. Um, overrated hitting hole in one. Finally, for you, I have uh, Brooks Kepka. Where are we at the end of this season? Is properly, Brooks Kepka properly rated? Finally, yeah, properly rated. Yeah, because. He's he's probably not going to win as many times as Rory McIlroy, like full stop across the board. He's not going to, to go out there and steal the Travelers Championship, which means he'll probably win it next year. He just has bagged these majors. He's a phenomenal competitor. He's probably going to remain for the next couple of years top five player in the world, which is what he is. Does he have the staying power at number one? Maybe, which means that's kind of perfect where he's at. Is Jay Monahan overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Wow. Jay Monahan, overrated. Yep. What has Jay Monahan done for the PGA Tour? He's going to be the guy that that finalizes the the TV rights, but he also needs to be the guy that finalizes sound pace of play. Mm. And he has balked at all kinds of ideas that make the players have to think about things. So at this point, for me, this sounds like and for you, you you've <laughs> taken over this this take, but I have no problem with it. The overrated stamp. He's going to have it. All right, enough of that first-time segment. We need to talk to Steve Sands, longtime NBC and Golf Channel host and interviewer, reporter on the grounds. He was a part of probably the best interview last year, probably the best post-round interview this year. The guy's in the right spot at the right time. He is, and we're coming off the Tour Championship. This was his Super Bowl, you know, for a while. This was Steve Sands with the whiteboard. We got into that. We got into his interviews with Rory, with Tiger. All kinds of good background stuff. Uh, I want to know where that whiteboard is. I want to. That's like some type of golf memorabilia you will never see. All right, enough about his whiteboard, though. Here is Steve Sands. Longtime host with NBC Sports and Golf Channel, ever since the turn of the century, really. Steve, thanks for joining us. Oh my God, that's an awful introduction. Turn of the century. Holy cow, I'm old, but man, oh man. No, that means you're oh, tenured. Yeah. You're tenured. You had a long, long career, and there's been, you know, no reason to get rid of you. You are, you are Sansy, and, and the golf world needs that. <laughs> oh, you guys are cows. How are you guys? Good, good. It's, uh, it's a little early here on Monday morning, but we're ready to talk golf because we had a big day yesterday. Rory McIlroy wins the Tour Championship. How was it for you down there at Eastlake? That was good. It was uh, it was really good. You know, look, coming off of last year, I think that everybody was like, okay, it was an epic Sunday with Tiger winning for the 80th time in his career. How in the world is anybody going to match up to that? So for all the guys who were there, uh, for the high level of play, uh, for Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Justin Thomas, you know, getting a worthy champion in Rory, it was uh, – I thought it was terrific. The new system uh, worked out well. They got a great champion in Rory, and now he's the only other guy that, other than Tiger who has two Phoenix Cup titles. So it was a uh, it was a terrific week down there. Yeah, everyone is going to talk about this week. They're going to talk about the new format, how it's a little bit different. Some call it goofy. Some call it whatever. There are certain parts they like and other parts they don't like. But you were, for a long time, you were the man with the whiteboard. You were a man in front of the numbers, adding up FedEx Cup points, in the moment, uh, faster than anyone could do with TV graphics. So we needed your opinion on a subject. What, uh, how was this week different, better, or worse for you uh, in a slightly different role? It was different. Um, it wasn't nearly as hectic. Um, I'm used to hearing everybody in my ear going, get over to the board and count something out or whatever it is. Um, so it was cool. It was, uh, it was fun. Uh, but it was certainly different. I missed it. Yeah, uh, you, you know, missed we, the whiteboard. It was a collective. Well, it was a collective effort by a bunch of people. Um, you know, I, I, I realize that you're the guy who's up there and everybody sees your face and hears your voice. But, you know, between guys at the tour like John Friedman and, uh, you know, our guys in the truck, Louie and Tom and 
um, Sammy Goldberg and all these different people who were so talented uh, in putting together all those kinds of things. Um, it, we missed we missed doing it. Uh, it was fun to explain it. We understand that it was confusing, and we try to make it as simple as possible for the audience to be able to just sit and watch the golf and enjoy and then figure out who's going to win and who's trying to win and what can happen and what scenarios here and there. Um, so, yeah, I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't miss doing it. It was fun doing it. Uh, but the system's better. Um, it's, it's definitely less confusing for people, uh, and that's the ultimate goal. Um, and it worked out great. So, yeah. It was it was uh, it was strange tonight. I walked up into the clubhouse. All those years, we had a little set uh, for the FedEx Cup point standings inside the clubhouse. I walked in there uh, when I got to town on Wednesday, kind of put my hand over my heart, had a moment <laughs> of silence, and then walked out. It was pretty funny. Steve, so Tiger uh, at the Northern Trust said, you know, he was worried about your your brand going forward. He was worried about your job with no whiteboard this year. Did you get a bunch of feedback from players, from guys on site about the new format and about your role? Well, I don't think they cared about my role. (laughs) I think they kind of joked with me a little bit. Uh, A lot of the guys were asking, man, what are you going to do next week? Or, man, what are you going to do this week? Or, man, what's going to happen to you? And he's like that kind of stuff. And uh, they were kind of half kidding, half not, asking if I still had a job. Uh, it was very nice. Um, they were funny about it. Um, I was not watching the day at the Northern Trust when Rory and Tiger, I guess, set it on the podium when they were doing their news conferences. Um, but, you know, it's, it's cool with them to, to kind of reach out and kind of have some fun with it. And, uh, you know, look, <laughs> when you're a part of something like that, I guess, the first time it gets taken away, um, people are going to say, you know, nice things. And, and it's, it's very cool that people did that, but it is certainly not about me. It's not about us. We are, I've said this before to people, we are people who are on TV and people know who you are and that's great. And everybody's always so nice. when they come up to you, you know, no one ever says, Oh, you suck. You know, they always say you're the greatest, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it's about the athletes. It's about the golfers. It's about the tour. Um, it's about the golf and the competition. You know, we're just clowns in the circus. And uh, I know that we're, we're very recognizable. I understand that. But I'm not trying to be Mr. Humble. I'm just telling the truth. It's, it's, it's about them, not us. Um, and in this particular case, because the FedEx Cup was systemed the way it was, and I was the guy who was the person on the network explaining it on Golf Channel and on NBC over the weekend. Uh, I, I understand all the attention uh, getting you last week and in the last couple of weeks during the FedEx Cup playoffs, but I am uh, I'm, I'm really happy that the competition was the most important thing, and, and they got a great winner. And, and congratulations to Rory. Yeah, definitely. Now, did you ever make a mistake with that whiteboard, or were you mistake free? <laughs> I, 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 Mrs. Campbell in fourth grade and Mrs. Frazier uh, back in sixth grade are, are going to be amazed uh, at, at the lack of errors that we made um, over the years. It, never once on live TV wow. um, during our shows did we ever make a mathematical error uh, as far as the FedEx Deployment Standings. I'm not quite sure how that happened based on my scholastic record <laughs> through high school and college. Um, in fact, I was telling someone the other day that my mother passed away in June. Um, she was a school teacher, uh, for a long time. She was a high school teacher. And the very first time, uh, we came on the air on NBC over the weekend. Actually, I think it was golf channel on Thursday. The first time we came on the air and did one of those FedEx cup <clears throat> points update, excuse me. Uh, my, my mother didn't text or call, which I thought was kind of surprising because she was all jacked up about it. And then the second time we did it, later in the show, she didn't call. And then the third time we did it, right afterwards, I get a text from my mom. And she's like, I was too nervous <laughs> watching to text you or call you after the first couple. But now that I've settled down and have calmed down, thanks to uh, my favorite beverage, and you've also done it for a few times, I can honestly tell you that if you would have done as much homework back in high school as you did going into this, you could have been somebody. <laughs> so my mother had some fun with it. Um, everybody had fun with it, man. It was, it was cool. It was, uh, 
it was fun to do it. It was fun to be a part of it. Um, but you know, all, all things, uh, all things must come to an end at some point. Last year had the tiger return and you were there for probably the best interview get of the 2018 season to talk to tiger immediately after his tour championship win. Do you, do you remember that scene as probably the greatest moment of your career or what else would compare to that? Yeah, it was, uh, that was some kind of scene. Um, again, you know, what's, what's weird about, and I don't know how you guys feel about this when you're doing your thing, but I don't know. I don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but like when I'm doing my job, um, I don't think about the millions of people who are watching and, and that kind of thing. I just think about the job we're doing at the time. Uh, the team we're on and trying to produce and broadcast the best we can uh, for the audience who's watching, uh, just kind of you know, checking out the best players in the world. So I don't think about it at the time, but I will say this. Last year, when Tiger won, that crazy scene where all the people uh, were coming down 18 at East Lake. We run out like we always do uh, onto the 18th grade, walk out and do the interview. And you know, it's a big deal. It's Tiger's first win in five years. Tiger's 80th career win. Um, there's a lot of things there. The comeback, the whole thing. I, we get done with the interview. The place is going bananas. And you can't hear a thing in your ear and your headset. It's crazy. And so you know it's a big deal. But Atlanta's one of those weeks where you kind of get out of there and you get right to the airport and fly home because it's a hub airport. You can get home on a Sunday night, which in our business is kind of a, a big thing uh, to be able to do that because you spend so much time away. So I get to the airport and people are staring at me. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing. I'm like, this is so weird. At the time, you're not thinking about how big it is and all that kind of stuff. But then afterwards, you realize this is an NFL Sunday, and Tiger Woods just won for the first time in five years. And we got a massive, massive television rating. It was an enormous day in sports because it was Tiger. No offense to anybody else, but Tiger's the only one who can do that. Mm -hmm. So when I got to the airport, checked in, security, getting on the tram in Atlanta, going to the gate, sitting at the gate, waiting to get on the plane. I mean, everyone is coming up and saying something. And then that's when it kind of hits you that, wow, that, that Tiger's a big deal, man. I mean, it's a, it, was a, it was a big deal. It was a lot of fun. Um, thankfully, the interview went well. He was more emotional, I think, during that interview than I've ever seen him in any interview we've ever done together, and we've done hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, so... I was happy for him that he won, uh, knowing what he's gone through to get to that point. Uh, it was a very cool moment. But, yeah, it was, uh, that was certainly one of the, the, the bigger spots, uh, personally, I, I've ever been in my career. Yeah, and, and Steve, we know that you have uh, definitely a good relationship with Tiger, like you said, from hundreds of interviews over the years. How did that start? Because, you know, we know with Tiger, he's a pretty protective guy. It takes a little while to – for him to get comfortable around you, I would imagine. Um, what was that process like? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. People ask me that all the time. Um, look, the relationship that a person on TV, a sportscaster, has with an athlete is is really based on one thing: it's trust. And I think that the athlete, in this case, Tiger, um, the greatest player of his generation, a very protective guy. Um, if he doesn't believe in the person who he's dealing with, then it's never going to get any farther than just something that's very superficial. And I remember years ago uh, playing in Charlotte. He always used to play the first tee time in a pro-am on a Wednesday. And I was in Charlotte, I don't know, 2003, 2004, 2005, somewhere back then. And he was in that crazy 6.30 a.m. tea time, whatever that was. And there was nobody there. And I thought, you know what? I think it's really important to get out there. You know, if they're working, we should be working. You know, they're the athletes. They're the show. So get after it. So 
I get out there on the first tee and we're walking, you know, and he kind of looks over and says, what are you doing here? And I said, you know, if you're working, we're working. Mm-hmm. And then you continue that throughout the weeks, the months, the years. Um, obviously, in his heyday, he was playing great, almost on the leaderboard after every round, not just every week. And you're interviewing him every day because he's always on a leaderboard and he's Tiger Woods. And, you know, you build that relationship, you walk around with him, you, you talk about things off camera that, you know, you would never obviously mention on TV, but just, you know, family stuff and kids and life and sports and, you know, just stupid stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you, you allow him um, to kind of get to know you and then you kind of see where it goes. And does that uh, trust allow you to then ask the tough questions to Tiger when the, the situation calls for it? I mean, obviously, it's golf. They're going to be you know positive questions far more than the negative. But does that trust-building element allow for that when you need to? I think you can say that about any athlete. Um, I am a believer that uh, – I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I am a believer that we ask questions of athletes we want to get to know athletes. We want uh, to get closer to athletes as fans. And the way to do that is to get to know them through a lens or through a website or through a newspaper or through radio, whatever the medium is. And if you ask athletes questions, let them answer. Let's hear it. Let you know, good or bad. You know, if you don't like the answer, you don't like their opinion, then don't ask the question. Um, and I think that when an athlete trusts you, in this case, Tiger, who you're asking about, I think for sure you have the ability to ask him questions uh, that are a little bit deeper than you would if the athlete doesn't trust you. Because I think the athlete who trusts the person who's asking him questions is way more uh, willing to answer them in an honest fashion. So. Yeah, there's no question that if you take the time to get to know the athletes, uh, whether it's Tiger, Rory, anybody else, they will be better with you on camera, um, off camera, whatever it is. Uh, I think the, the, the information you're going to get from them, the honesty you're going to get from them is going to be greatly enhanced. Um, if the athlete trusts uh, the person who's asking the question, there's, there's no debate on that. One of the one of the aspects of your relationship with Tiger is how he refers to you. It's Sanzi. Everybody knows it's Sanzi. I want to know: Is Sanzi spelled with a Y or an I E? <laughs> uh, you'd have to ask him. Uh, my guess is it's an I E. Uh, is my guess. The funny thing about that is people now in the last couple of years. Anywhere I am, it's Sansy, Sansy. So people yelling Sansy, that kind of stuff. It just makes me laugh. They say to my wife, Mrs. Sansy. They say to my kids, little Sansy. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's all based on, and again, it's all based on one thing, Tiger. Tiger rules the sports world, not just the golf world. So when he says something, it catches on. For that to catch on, that has nothing to do with me. That's that's him, man, and that's just a crazy, crazy thing that he has the ability to kind of change the way people speak. Look, I'm 50 years old. When I played high school basketball, we wore shorts like it was underwear, you know. Mm-hmm. Then Michael Jordan came along, and now my kids who play high school basketball are wearing shorts down to their knees. Mm-hmm. The shaved head came in to play when. Jordan shaved his head and it became such a cool look. Well, Tiger is like that. And only certain athletes are like that. I'm not saying everybody is dressing like Tiger or talking like Tiger, but if someone else called me that nickname, it wouldn't nearly catch on like it does with him. And I'm telling you, fellas, everywhere I go, people are yelling at me. It, uh, it makes me laugh. I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. Do you know when he first called you that? Like, did you react in, a, in a, any way? Oh, no. People would call me that forever. He uh, he started calling me that, I don't know, years ago. 
but you got to remember, you know, like he, he kind of went away there, you know, with his injuries and all the things that have happened to him. He really didn't play a lot from like 2013 to like 2017. Uh, after he had that great year in 2013, he didn't really play a ton. So in this comeback, um, when he started calling me that after every interview, uh, I think that's what it caught on. But, he, you know, he's been – I mean, everybody calls people whatever their name is by a Y or an IE or Mikey or Stevie or, you know, Johnny, that kind of stuff. I, I do it all the time. People do it all the time. Uh, it's just that we're not famous like Tiger was. So when Tiger does something like that, it tends to catch on. Yeah, well, one one other thing that Tiger used to have was a Washington, D.C. tour event. And I know you're yeah. a D.C. guy, and I look around the tour schedule, and you kind of you see events that go to New York and Boston and L.A. every year. And Washington, D.C. has been pulled out of the tour rota, so to say. Does that make you does that make you feel pretty sad? I imagine you kind of enjoyed those times when you could get close to home. No, it's tragic to me. I, I it drives me crazy uh, as a as a Washingtonian that we have the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. We have a tennis event, and we don't have a PGA Tour event in the nation's capital. I think that's a joke. Uh, there certainly are great golf courses there. Um, I understand sponsors and economics dictate how things work, but for the PGA tour, for the game at the highest level to not be in the nation's capital to me is in the area and not in the city, but in the nation's capital area is just awful to me. And I think that it's a void on the schedule. Uh, it's a void on the calendar. It's a void in, in a major market. Um, and I'm biased. I, I'm, I readily admit that, but I, I just think that, being in D.C., this is the United States, uh, and Washington's a major city, and they have all the sports except golf. And I think that the PGA Tour belongs in the nation's capital, and I think that the tournament has always been supported well in the nation's capital, uh, and they certainly have the venues to do it. So it bummed me out when that happened. I understand why it happened, um, and I understand how it all works. But let's try to figure it out and get golf at the highest level to be played uh, in what I consider the greatest city in the world, but I'm biased. But I'm biased, by the way. Thought you couldn't you couldn't tell I'm sure. But anyway, Steve, Sean mentioned before you got the probably best interview get of 2018 with Tiger at the Tour Championship. But we also think you might have gotten the best interview of 2019 with Rory at Portrush. You know, he missed the cut, but his charge for the cut line it was electric. I mean, that whole day was pretty special in Portrush. What do you remember from that, and does that stick out to you like it does to us? What I remember the most about that day was here is one of the top two or three players uh, in the world uh, playing a tournament that he pretty much no longer has a chance to win, yet is grinding like you can't believe to make the cut. Now, if you make the cut, you do have a chance to win over the weekend, obviously. But he wasn't playing great, um, and he obviously had a very tough start on Thursday. The crowd over there, the reason the Open is my favorite event of the year is because of the atmosphere. The crowd over there is just different. It sounds different. It feels different. It looks different. Uh, everything about it. And those folks love Rory McIlroy. They love Darren Clark. And they love Graham McDowell. But man, were they rooting for Rory McIlroy to make that cut. That place was going crazy. <laughs> and Rory was coming down the stretch so emotional, just trying to make it to the weekend. This is a guy who's won four major championships. He's won a Claire Jug. He's got all the money in the world. And he's trying to make a cut for the country because the country was on his back. And that probably was the reason he got off to such a bad start on Thursday. So to me, the interview with him afterwards, him being so emotional, um, I've been doing this 29 years. I've never cried. I'm a crier. I cried everything. <laughs> um, and I've never cried on live TV and Rory got me. And I almost was going to cry on national television. I don't care to do it or not do it. I'm just saying I've never done it. 
And he was so emotional, uh, so genuine, so true to himself, uh, just so Rory McIlroy. And uh, it's it's one of the reasons that I, I truly love the guy. Um, and I just think he's a fabulous person uh, along with being a fabulous golfer. Have you talked to Rory about that interview since then? Did you guys, you know, ever have a conversation about it afterwards? Yeah, we did. We talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a conversation we keep amongst ourselves. It's just a, you know, he's, he's just a wonderful kid. He really is. His parents are great. Jerry and Rose, uh, his wife, Erica is great. Um, he has an incredible perspective on not only his career, but life. Um, it's rare in an athlete, uh, who has that type of balance. And, uh, it was, a, it was a tough day for him. Um, but he also understands that that's sports, you know, sports is up and down, man. It's uh, he certainly has felt the ups and downs over the years. Everybody has, uh, fans, athletes, whoever's involved. Um, but yeah, we talked about it. It was, uh, it was a tough day, man. I was, it was, uh, it was an emotional tough day. It was an emotionally draining day, uh, for him and, uh, knowing him the way I know him, uh, I felt terrible for him, man. He, he wanted it so badly. That much was, was definitely emoted through the TV screen. Now, b- before we let you go, a couple lighthearted topics, a long career covering golf, but recently you've been on NBC's winter Olympics coverage and speed yeah. skating has been your sport because, uh, I don't know why, Please tell the people who have no idea, is that a difficult job, an easy job compared to golf? How the hell is speed skating? <laughs> speed skating is great, man. If you need to know anything about Yekaterina Lubisheva, you're <laughs> talking to the right guy. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a crazy cool sport. Um, you wouldn't want to watch it every week, uh, but doing it every four years is amazing. Um, the Olympics is amazing. It's a, uh, you know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for the great majority of Olympians to get to that point. Um, you know, we put it on as a television show. So, you know, all about the great stars, um, who have been in the Olympics multiple times, but the great majority of Olympians are there once and it's their like lifelong goal and achievement uh, yeah. to reach that point, that point of that moment. Uh, speed skating is amazing. The energy is great. It's always a sold out crowd indoors, really loud. Um, the speed and athleticism in speed skating is staggering in person when you're there. It is incredible how athletic, uh, the men and women are who take part in speed skating. And it's a lot of fun, man. It's uh, it's really cool to be like, I did football, basketball, baseball, hockey, tennis. I've done all the sports. Uh, I've been very lucky over my career, uh, to be a part of the Olympics on NBC is, is a dream come true. Uh, it's an amazing team of people on and off the air uh, who put that type of production together. Uh, and doing a different sport is always great. Uh, it pushes you. Uh, you got to do a lot of homework. Uh, you got to make sure you understand the names and the rules and the, the game. And you're not around it. It's not, it's not nearly um, as comfortable as you are going to a golf tournament, you know, after doing it all these years. Uh, but it's it's, you know, someone once told me that it's impossible to grow unless you stretch yourself so take yourself out of your comfort zone go do a different sport like that and you kind of find out a little bit about yourself and uh it's a lot of fun being around uh, the men and women uh, of u.s speed skating and all all the world uh when we go to the olympics it's uh it's an honor to be a part of it it's a lot of fun so you'll be headed to japan then i will be going to tokyo it'll be fun i think i think i'm doing golf I'd be lying to you if I told you that I wouldn't love to do a different sport. Um, but because we do golf and obviously it's, it's better to do the sport you cover as far as the network is concerned, because you're putting on a show um, and you want the audience to be familiar and comfortable with what they're seeing and watching uh, and, and listening to. But um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in Tokyo and it'll be a lot of fun. The Olympics is an amazing, amazing time. All right. Well, then before you leave, if you could make a ploy to your bosses right now, what sport would you cover in Japan? Oh, I'd love to do swimming, man. I, I just, the energy, I, I've gone to a couple of swim, you know, in, in Rio in 16, after golf, you go to different events, go to all these different things and boxing and badminton and volleyball and water polo and track and field and all these different things. 
Let me tell you, man. I went the night that Ledecky and Phelps each won gold, and the place was coming unglued. It was like being at Cameron Indoor or Fog Allen or, you know, you know, being at a night game at LSU on a Saturday, it was, it was so loud. And so the energy was so high. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun to be a part of the swimming, uh, in the summer games, but I, uh, I think I'm going to fall a little bit short of that goal. <laughs> it's all right, though. I'm happy to be a part of anything they want, whatever they choose. You made a good. You made a good run at it. We'll see if we can talk to the NBC folks and get you get you close to the <laughs> I pool. I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Steve. Thanks for calling in, and we'll see you. We'll see you out there on tour sometime. Big thanks to Steve Sands for joining us. Hopefully, that guy gets a little bit of a break before he has to run out there on tour again. Dylan, before we go, you'd like to say something. I would like to say something because as great as the tour championship, the FedEx cup payout was this weekend, the biggest story in sports was about Andrew Luck retiring at age 29. And, uh, the guy is, is getting paid $25 million essentially to do nothing by the Indianapolis Colts. Let's think about here's Rory McIlroy, 30 years old, having a huge mega payday, making a similar amount of money. Here's Andrew Luck, and suddenly all these tributes were pouring in about you know Luck's career, and I feel like we really got a chance to step back and appreciate the guy for what he's done. Let's think about golf and the way we just grind in and out all season long. We get a ton of Rory McIlroy over the course of the season, and he's not going anywhere for a long time. You don't see guys just walk away from the game of golf. Uh, the way you do. You don't really even see much of an off-season in the golf world. So I do think we should, you know, take these moments like right now, we're coming into our, what, two, three-week off-season to say, all right, we had a good run. We should appreciate the greatness of Rory, of Kepka while we're here, you know, money or not, even though Rory will be around for a while, we should take this chance. We're in it right now. Rory is a great player right now. And uh, we'll miss it when it's gone. Yeah. Anytime that you end up comparing things like team sports to golf, a lot of times there are things that we lack. We really want the kind of team camaraderie or like the finality of a win or a loss, not just a T4 or a T5. Golf actually really hits on keeping people involved forever. I mean, if Rory McIlroy wants to play the Champions Tour, which he's entitled to do and make a lot more money as a senior – we're going to see him for the next four decades. That's the bottom line, and that's a good thing. Fred Couples was in contention in his hometown event yesterday in Seattle. So, you know, this is a game for a lifetime. It is a question with all this FedEx Cup money, if we'll see that change. You know, Brooks Kepka talks about moving to an island and never hearing from him again. So we'll see That'd if there so will sad. be a little bit more than just Anthony Kim in, in terms of stars disappearing on the tour. But for now, I do want everyone to... Uh, Savor this time away from the PGA Tour because it'll be back before we know it. Yeah, it will be. Just a matter of weeks. That's it for the Drop Zone today. Thanks to Steve Sands. Thanks to Dylan DeChair. I'm your host, Sean Zock.